0: became aware of the power of conversation when I was a stay-at-home mom of three preschoolers. Friends would call, and I'd talk their ears off, desperate for adult communication. If I remember correctly, some of them quit calling. When the children became teenagers, I loved driving them wherever they needed to go, as when there was no eye contact, they were much more open and talkative, giving me an important view into
1: their worlds. Too much of living, breathing, and being alone opened that window specifically with Agnes, when deep in the ugly greys of winter, I called her out of the blue to ask if she would simply fill me for just one week for five minutes just to ask me what I was doing for the day so I could talk to someone, hear another voice. Note, loneliness being one of our conversational themes over the last year to make my long story even longer, before long it was Agnes who suggested that our five-minute sound checks were actually interesting, and going on for 20-30 minutes, we would just take off. I firmly believe that conversation saves us. It heals and reveals. And now, as a boomer who doesn't have any interest in retiring, I am rejuvenated,
0: replenished by conversation. I'm cognizant of the power and the importance of both conversation and story. And Sulayka, I appreciate always being able to
1: exchange ideas, thoughts, and words with you. Well, one other thing. Whenever I mention that our podcast is called The Lost Art of Conversation, The response is always positive. There's always an emotional response of, oh, great, that's a great idea. So going with that, let's go with it. Let's go.
0: Good morning, podcast listeners who recognize that intro. It's an exciting day here at the Two Boomer Women podcast. Some of you are aware that when this podcast launched, it had two hosts, me, Agnes Knowles, and my boomer woman, Podner, <laughs> and she gets credit for that word, Mar Suleika Oaks. Last fall, Marsulaika went on sabbatical, so this year I've filled the other chair by interviewing other mostly boomer women. And of course, I need to mention our Manly Monday, when my guest is a man. Currently once a month, but who knows what the future holds. Today, I'm thrilled to announce that Marsu is back. Honestly, I'm not sure for how long or how often, but I personally have missed our conversations. Marsu welcome home. Uh, hello,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? Who am I? Where was I? You know I'm not the uh, the erstwhile uh, techno thingy, but here I am. Yes, here I am. <laughs> ah, dear, it's good to hear your voice. When you went on
0: sabbatical in the fall, it was because you had so much on your plate. Um, you know, you were your mother's full-time advocate. You were in serious creative mode, writing articles and creating your collages or as you call them, Montage Musings. Um, Now, I'm hoping you're going to read one of your latest articles for us before we sign off, but can you tell us a wee bit about the article you sent
1: me this week? Well, like many of the stories we talk about when we're having our conversations, which I have to stress is the most important post-COVID component for healing, talking, listening, talking more, being together, talking, conversing. I had to have a conversation, had to. I decided that it was time to have a conversation with the pastor about my mother because it looked imminent that she would be dying. Now, just a proviso about my mother, Trudy, the amazing Trudster, who's 91 this fall. Uh, she went from uh, emergency oxygen to St. Paul's Hospital, to ICU, to palliative, back home at Harrow Park Center, all in three weeks. And yesterday when I saw her, she got up in her wheelchair. We went outside. She sat with the ladies in the lounge. She's back. (laughs) But at the beginning, it's like everything we talk about when we do our podcast. The things that come up, know are going to come up and i always like myself in particular and people in general know what's around the corner and if it's a tragedy and it's an an emergency call at two in the morning and oh my mother oh my god what am i going to do you still don't know what's around the corner after that so uh getting back to the reason that i wanted to get together with you with a new series of stories I phoned the pastor in Saskatchewan because he's always been there for the last 30 years. Now, 30 years ago, I did a story. uh, But in those 30 years, we kept in touch. And I don't call regularly. It's not once a month. But I called him and I said, Pastor Shane, it might be time for you to be here for my mother. But in the meantime, I need some kind of spiritual guidance Oh, that word, spiritual guidance. I need to talk to somebody who understands the mysteries that I don't. The passing, the leaving, the letting go, the dying thing, the, uh, the death doula thing, the, the, the life thing. And so we talked. And in that conversation, he reminded me uh, of something and it was so, so beautiful. It was that serendipitous thing. Again, that you and I bump into when we do podcasts, and you bump into when you talk to people, and I do, it's that bit of serendipity, that bit of magic, whatever it is, the vowels and the consonants of words and sentences that mean something, and then you take those words and uh, develop it into something else. For me, I'm a writer. Uh, For other people, they instigate things, they initiate things, they, hey, this is a great idea, let's do this. For you, you have that talent of taking stuff and creating it on tangible platforms. Now, I just use the word platforms only because of you. I would never know that. word. But what I'm trying to get at is that um, talking, listening, and reacting is how we move on, how we move forward. Yeah, and and I do want to just put a qualification in
0: there because for those listeners who perhaps don't know you and certainly don't know your mother, when we talk about the truthster and being close to death, and then we laugh because she's, or chuckle, shall I say, because she's back home out in the courtyard with her friends, it's because this woman is amazing, (laughs) And, you know, we, we chuckle because it comes with the shaking of our head to say like, what does this woman have? It's an intangible thing that she just keeps on keeping on. And as close to death as she comes, she gets up and starts flirting with the nurse or the orderly or whoever. You know, I mean, she's
1: remarkable. Truly, truly.
0: (laughs) Okay. So just, just going back to the article. I read it. In hindsight, you were the obvious person to send for that particular story. How how did you get that assignment?
1: I was uh, the documentary producer for CBC Television in Regina at the time. And in those days, the 90s, before there were sweeping changes with uh, the Internet and uh, how we do things now, how we did things then were to, uh, was to have feeds, uh, from, uh, many networks. We called them the amnets for the American networks. We'd get feeds from ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, the three major, the four major, uh, stations, networks at the time. And we would pick and choose. And that's how we developed our newscast. Most people know that. And, uh, as well as that were the wire feeds canadian press cp canadian press many others and it was a story that just came through and it was astounding and it was what really and in regina because it's really a, a smaller town than anything else we really talk about all the time it's not toronto it's not montreal it's not vancouver everything in that prairie hold is um Not smaller, but magnified because it is small. So the incident of uh, a little town called Burstall with 300 people as population with five teenagers who were killed in a train accident, a train accident, a train, trains in the prairies are prominent it was just a, a juxtaposition of a bunch of facts that made for a heart-rending uh, scenario. And so it caught my attention because my husband had just died eight months earlier, and I felt it. The, the story was, as you have just said, a
0: terrible tragedy. You say in your article, and I'm going to quote this, I did not want to be one of those TV producers who rushed out to get the footage of five coffins ramming a microphone in the face of people with, how do you feel? Now, I've heard that and I hate it. You know, it, it's a tragedy that affects a person at the very core of their being. There are no words, you know, so get that freaking microphone out of my face and you out of my sight, it, you know, and you knew not to do that. What did your heart tell you to do instead? Like, why did the parents of these children decide to speak with you?
1: Going back just for a sentence about what you just said about that particular motive, motivated sentence a lot of broadcasters still use. It's because I heard it so many times in 1995 that I resolved not to ever use it. And here we are, what, 25 years later, and we still hear it, but that's beside the point. Why did they decide to speak to me? Well, first, I spoke to the pastor. I called the pastor when all the other networks were rushing over to this little town to get the story. Oh, my God, five coffins, five families, five people, five. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And it's that ringing of your hands in this desperate, got to get it news orientation that is still so irritating and still done. We're still chasing ambulances and fires because they're visual, they're television instead of the story. But the story to me was listening to these people all together in a small town who knew everybody and everybody knew them with one pastor, only one church that had to orchestrate and organize all of these details of death. So when I talked to him, he was my gatekeeper. And I say gatekeeper now as sort of a cold clinical technical term, but really he was the man who had it all in his hands. And I said right off the top, I don't want to talk to you right now. I know that you're going through a lot and every other newspaper and, Magazine and uh, television network will be there, but I don't want to do that. I just want you to know my name so that when I call you in six months, we can have another conversation. He was so grateful. It was his first job. He had just gotten out of seminary school. He was bewildered. The whole thing was just overwhelming. He said, thank you, thank you so much for understanding. And I said, please know that my heart is with you. We'll talk in six months. And I literally stopped it. My executive producer at the time was a little pissed. May I say that word? I just did. (laughs) Because it was, get the story, get the story. And I said, no, don't. Don't get the story. Get the heartbeat. Because everybody in the world knows what it's like to lose someone, a daughter, a son, a mother, a father, But for a community, that's a different thing because it goes deeper. There's so, and look at the world after 25 years. Every day you can't escape a news story about some tragedy that befalls 20, 30, 40, 600 people in a community, wherever it is, all over the world. That's what we have now. It doesn't make the grieving, letting go process any easier, any simpler. Because grieving is part of life, and what you did in your life when you loved.
0: Yeah, and then and when love doesn't, I guess it changes, but it doesn't go away just because no. they're not here. That's true. Now, what a lot of our listeners won't know is that I'm also your web diva. My term. <laughs> 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 My term. Oh, My term. <laughs> You get podner, I get web And we will share your website information before we close. Now, on the website, you say, and I'm going to quote again. I get these little air quotes happening in my office here. My talents have always been achieving the get interview. I bring to the table the ability to find the one person who tells the story to you because you endear their trust. They go on camera without the camouflage of being in shadow to share their most heartbreaking life episodes. That's an amazing talent. And unfortunately, as we've just discussed, uh, an all too rare talent. Are there tangible traits, experiences? Like, like what explains that ability that you have?
1: I don't know exactly. No, uh, being a very shy personality. Yes, believe it or not, my go-to first position since the age of five is to watch and listen first, and so that has developed uh, through high school, college, choosing a career as a journalist because knowing and understanding things is uh. One of my key interests in life, so it, it all goes back to that. It goes back to to listening, and that's such a that's such a T-shirt saying or a, a license plate saying. ooh, listening! Oh, it's so important. Oh, but it, it's really about listening to the world around you. And connecting inside yourself first with the situation or the person or the scenario. And then, second, communicating to that person scenario. It has to mean something to you first. Again, because my husband had just died and he died in my arms. I did none of the hospital thing, I did it all with him at home. And I'm grateful, it was a profound experience. But because of that experience, I was able to comprehend, see, sense uh, the tragedy of Burstall, Saskatchewan. So it's connecting inside yourself. It's knowing yourself. To the itself be true, and it therefore will follow that, though therefore can't be false to any man. I screwed up Shakespeare, but you know what I'm talking about. You You have to know who you are in terms of the world. And that's not a pompous statement. It's how you get through walking through a traffic light to get to the other side. You have to know something. And so listening is there, connecting with yourself is second and communicating with the other is the third part.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb here too and say that, you know, it's the difference between hearing And listening. And in your case, it sounds like you listen with all of your senses. And, you know, I think so many people, whether they're interviewers or news, like reporters that have to get the story, they go in with their own agenda. So they move on to the next question or statement without realizing what's just been said and that that is the real moment so it's not it it becomes about the reporter's agenda not the interviewee's words
1: you know this this gets into a theme of mine that i i do pounce on quite regularly actually i am so tired of reporters saying here we are this is me look at me oh i'm telling the story please shut up show the story Indicate the story. You're not a star. We've made stars out of people who once reported the news, told the news, uh, explained the news. Now we're stars. Everybody's a star. Oh, look at me. And that's celebrity culture. That's what we're talking about, celebrity culture in broadcasting. And it's damn irritating. What can I say? We live in a celebrity world, a celebrity culture that has Drafted itself into the mindset of everyday thinking everybody's a star everybody's got an instagram everybody's look at me my selfie me 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 look what I eat here it is on my Facebook. Okay, but it's not reporting. It's not storytelling. So yeah, that is a a tendency in today's world. How do you get around it? I don't know. I think the more authentic I would like to believe that the more authentic we are that word accurate, honest, uh, has meaning one-on-one. But again, reporting and telling stories in the way that I grew to tell them meant that it was like talking to one person. Now we accept we're talking to millions of people, so it changes. And that's why, again, in your podcast, in what we're doing now, In what we do when we're two boomer women, it is like you and I are talking and it's you and I and good stories are about me telling a story to you or whoever that audience is. It's a delicate thing, but think of great movies, great stories, great novels. You always feel that intimacy. Intimacy. There's a word you don't bounce around very much on the internet, being intimate. And intimate is about listening and hearing the words.
0: Interestingly, and uh, I'm just going to go off topic here for two seconds. I actually just heard somebody talking about the opportunity for summer to curl up and read. (laughs) <laughs> and he basically said there there's there's nothing more intimate like like there's no other thing you can do like t v all that stuff to read is such an intimate thing, so it's interesting that two days later you say the exact same thing well, Can you think of just sort of briefly uh, once again I, I want to stay in in Saskatchewan, but what are some of the other stories you produced where your ability to listen and listen with your heart and your senses enabled you to get to the core of that story is there another one you can think of or a couple other ones you could think of
1: well there's one and i'll keep it to one because i'm going to write about it and ah, okay. hopefully we can do another show about it but it was the area crash tragic it was the The biggest case of terrorism after World War II, before 9-11, 1987, when uh, close to 400 people were killed, leaving Vancouver to go to India, and uh, bombs were placed on planes in Vancouver, and those innocent people were killed in the name of politics, and and that's the story, and we did the story for the journal, and on the journal we disclosed what the Canadian government knew but didn't act on from information they were getting from the FBI and CIA, and it was not taken in a serious context. It could have been because the translators translating uh, the Indian dialects didn't understand the language. They didn't understand what what they were recording anyway that was a story it was a big story it was a major story it was an international story and i was on the ground working with the journal and the national in vancouver but here's an example of the thread that leads to not the bigger story not just the bigger story but the heart of what that meant and i got to know some people in the community and uh The politics of things are not people. The politics of things are about power, and yes, that has to be covered. But I'm always more interested in that person who has the sari shop, who sells the clothes, because the clothes are the indication of the culture and the ritual that has not so much to do with politics, but much more to do with the human element and politics take those rituals and customs and twist them around for their own good all the time. And in this case, the sari, which is one of the most beautiful garments a woman can wear was something that symbolized to me, the innocence, the grace, the beauty of a culture that was at war over in India, over Amritsar, over all of that stuff. So, a fellow producer from India introduced me to a woman he knew who had a shop and I went to see her and I talked to her, just one woman for background notes on on the culture, on the people, on the customs, on on being from the subcontinent and having to look at the tragedy. I didn't do it on camera. I did it as background. She didn't want to go on camera. I didn't want to put her on camera. So when we went to her shop, she had the most beautiful array of saris. And in showing me the saris, she talked about herself and she said, I want you to have this. And oh my God, it was the most beautiful turquoise silk sari in the world. And it was lined with gold threads, just very delicately on the bottom. And I I was overwhelmed because it was everything. It was everything about the story through the hands of a woman who understood more than I did. So the sari stayed with me. And still, there's a little remnant left. I used to wear it uh, occasionally. And packing 42 times in my moves, it eventually disintegrated, except for a little ribbon of it, which I hang up in my hall. And I, whenever I pass it in the hall, I remember that story, because in remembering the story, reflecting on the story, it helps me understand a little bit more about being here on the planet, doing stories.
0: I uh, think too, you know what you've really hit home with here is, and especially with tragedies, whether it's five teenagers or a couple hundred people on an airline, is each death is an individual with their own story, who had people who loved them, who touched people, who moved about this world. And it's not just the airline or the crash. It's people. And too often we don't get the people's story. And you unfortunately now retired from that business yeah that's what you got wanted to get and now I see your word and you said the get I can't remember just what it was but the the get interview uh you you can come back anytime with the stories this is just so cool and it's it's cool to be talking to you again talking with you again but this is like I think a lot deeper than we to get on our podcast, which was kind of cool. Now, back to Bristol. Yes. Would,
1: would you consider reading your story for the listeners? Very much so. I would be very pleased to. And, yeah, I can do that. Thank you. So I'm just going to uh, – I wrote this a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm going to be posting it on my website, but I will read it for you Today, and, you know, maybe I can think about doing a series of these, maybe once a week or something, because I'm 66 now and there's a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, what's the name of our next podcast?
1: <laughs> Anyways, okay. Afterwards. So um, here's the story. Here's how it opens. Quote, you don't know how many hearts you touched all these decades with that story we did together, said Shane just two weeks ago. Pastor Dr. Shane Andrus is a man I met producing a story over 25 years ago that changed my life, his, and apparently the 300 people of Bristol, Saskatchewan in 1995 I had called him out of the blue this past week because my 90-year-old mother had gone from being in hospital emergency to ICU to palliative care, all in the span of three weeks. And I was seeking the kind of spiritual guidance one does from a pastor when you've gone several decades without any. But Shane was always different right from the get-go. And if there is anything remarkable about writing about a story nearly 30 years after the fact, it is that remarkable doesn't change. It almost never morphs into mundane. It remains sublime. And that is something the heart can never forget. The story in 1995 was broadcast nationally, and it caused a feverish anxiety, concern, and love over the loss of five teenagers who were killed crossing a railway track, on their way home from Bible camp. One of the fathers was in the lead in his own car going over the tracks, hearing the train, seeing it from a distance. He would say to my audience later, I thought they would see it. He thought they would stop, not try to clear it, but they didn't. His dear son had miscalculated. The reason Pastor Dr. Shane, he has a psychology degree to supplement the care he provides through his church. The reason that he and I reminisced in this deep dish reflection was more about the healing qualities grief provides long after the facts of impact. A crossing of the Rubicon at the still point of the moving world of now. It can only happen by going to remember when. I remember how I told you from Regina six months earlier that I did not want to be one of those TV producers who rushed out to get the footage of five coffins ramming a microphone in the face of people with, how do you feel? Biggest idiot question of all time, particularly in the COVID nonsense we have been surviving since 2021. I remember too, that he was surprised and relieved to hear my philosophy. I added at the time that I did, however, want to talk to him and the families in six months because it is in those six months people think you have gotten over a death when really you never will. That smart sensitivity was born out of my own experience when my husband died in my arms less than a year earlier from chronic myeloid leukemia, the same cancer that would claim Barbara from the broadcaster I worked for. That too made an impact. Shane and I were both in our 30s. This was his very first position as a pastor It was the very first production for me arriving on the Vast Ball Prairie after being out of the TV world for four years. You know, one of my favorite stories from that period I told him was when the CBC network decided they loved the idea of telling the story for the ever-fateful, totally ridiculous ratings period, always a stranglehold on creativity, especially these days. So you and I had talked, and yeah families would all talk to us on camera. We would stay the weekend to record the interviews. We were exhausted. Then we arrived after six hours of traveling in a car through country roads on that Friday night. And you met us at the door to say, I'm sorry, but they've all changed their minds. They don't want to do it. (laughs) I couldn't believe my ears. We both laughed on the phone in the retelling. But Shane, what you may not know, and I'm going to tell you right now for the first time, is that I secretly made a deal with God without telling you when I said to you, could I just introduce myself and tell the families that honestly, they did not have to tell their story. It was fine. It was all okay if they didn't. They didn't have to worry. We wouldn't do it. At which time Donna, my reporter, pinched me in the back where she was standing behind me and the cameraman, Kevin, kicked my shin. I had no idea, Selika so uh, This is hilarious. And I had forgotten that I did invite you into my living room where they were all waiting, all crying. Yep, there I was, standing in front of them with my fingers crossed behind my back, saying to all of them, Mr. and Mrs. Plato and the other four parents, that no, nope, they did not have to worry about it at all because I understood grief as my husband had just died, and I did everything myself, no hospitals, in our home, how I loved him, how I held him. I don't think I really knew what I was doing or even had a plan, really. I just had my fingers crossed because I knew I had to think of something. But that I had one request, one tiny request, that I hoped they would just think about, and that was, after Pastor Shane's church service on Sunday, if they might just think about possibly maybe telling their story. Because in telling their story, they would help so many other people to get over their own griefs. Just to think about it. That's beautiful, Celica, because that's exactly what happened. At a price, I said, I sure got hell for it from Donna and Kevin. And who were worried all Saturday and Sunday morning about whether or not we had the story when I knew it was really the heart of these people themselves. That was the total point of even being there. But we got the story, we got the heart and we even won an award from the prestigious 44th annual Columbus international film festival just for the ratings This is one of my top ten stories because you don't know at the time you were doing something what effect will leave its permanent stain on your very soul until you were 30 years distanced from it. I'm lucky to have lived it, and I'm lucky now, proceeding into another story of loss, the eventual one of my mother, June twenty second, 2021,
0: I can see how you've remained friends with Pastor Shane. Well, I, I, maybe friends is a little secrecy, but remained in contact with him. You know, because both of your souls were touched yeah. by the tragedy. You both had, you know, the the best of fa- for the families in their, in your thoughts. Even if you were colluding to a certain extent, no. <laughs> I can only imagine what other relationships you've formed throughout your career. That's pretty amazing.
1: Thank you. Uh, I thank
0: you for. Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna say, I, 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 I don't know what else. I'm like, I, I wanted to sort of end on the story, if that's okay, because it it was so impactful when I read it. It was just like, oh my god, like from start to finish, it just touched me. So we've got it now recorded that you are going to come back yes <laughs> more stories yes all right in that case could you tell our listeners where they can find out more about Marzula like Oaks
1: yes i can do that the story goddess is me and you can find me at ca.
0: You know I'm holding back a laugh because there have been times
1: when you've gone, dot com, and I go, no! I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I very carefully, very carefully said it slowly because I I always have to double-check myself because I never talk about it. I, I never... I. I don't answer phone calls all day saying, this is who I am, storygoddess.ca. I don't do that. (laughs) So when you ask me, I'm always, yes. Yeah.
0: Well, I know you have that T-shirt that says, I am the (laughs) storygoddess.ca. I'm joking. (laughs) Yeah. What a treat to have you back today. Thank you. Before we do actually sign off, I am going to remind our listeners that I don't know, I should quit slapping my legs when I talk to people because it comes through. But, uh, you know, if you've got something to say about the episode, you can leave your comments either way. You do listen to podcasts, and that seems to be growing these days. Or you can go to 2boomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Remember our Manly Mondays on the last Monday of every month, so spread the word. Bring a few men into the fold. It's okay. They're welcome. And uh, tune in for more of Marzulaika's stories. Uh, she'll be in the title of the episode.
1: Thank you for this. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. Will do. <laughs> Bye. Bye.